Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Our reading this morning will come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And it reads, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Well, very, very meaningful worship service we've already enjoyed together. And I love these songs that we've sung and the wonderful way in which this service has been conducted. Very faith-building, very edifying. Will there be a rapture before the end of time? That depends on how you define the word rapture. The reading that we just had read before us so beautifully was indeed indicative of the fact that there will be On the last day of history, the last day of this earth's existence, there will be a catching up. The word rapture from the Latin word rapturo does signify a catching up, a seizing up or catching away. And so in that sense, yes, right before the end of time, there will be a catching away of those who are in Christ We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But the word rapture, as usually used by our religious friends and neighbors and loved ones, is really connoting something different as far as the procedures around it and the timing of it. Let me illustrate what I'm talking to you about this The picture that you see on the screen there is allegedly a depiction of what's going to happen on a particular day. You'll see that there are planes crashing into the building there on the far left of the picture. If you look carefully down at the road there, you'll see cars crashing into one another. You'll see uh, allegedly people being raptured out of their cars. You've probably seen the bumper sticker. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. 
and you see the cars crashing into one another because some of those cars don't have drivers anymore because allegedly they were raptured out of the vehicle. The pilot flying that plane or the pilots flying that plane were allegedly members of God's people. They were righteous and so God raptured the righteous out of this world. But you'll notice some folks aren't being raptured out of the world. Some folks are left behind. I don't know if you've read any of the novels that were put out by a Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. There was a novel series that was quite popular a few years ago. Tens of millions of copies of those books have been sold. And so it's a very, very well-known thing. The movies have often depicted, allegedly, things like this. A, a woman, a young woman is hugging a little boy and he gets suddenly disappears from her, from her embrace because allegedly he's been raptured and she's left behind to try to figure it all out. Now you'll notice folks are coming up out of the cemetery on the far right of the picture at the bottom, the peaceful rest cemetery. Well, they say everything that was just read here, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, is about this alleged rapture event. Jesus comes back and uh, those who are alive do not precede those who are dead in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, this stems from a doctrine known as premillennialism. The pre meaning before, the millennial meaning the thousand year reign allegedly that's going to take place. And so allegedly premillennialism argues that before the second coming, excuse me, before the millennium, there will be a second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ will be pre Millennial. It will be before the millennium on earth that they allege is going to take place, which we'll talk about in the Bible class hour a little bit more. Now, there are 21 different brands of premillennialism, and so let me make an observation here. Because there are 21 different brands of premillennialism, I can only talk to you about the one this morning that is the most popular. It's the one called dispensational premillennialism, and these are their arguments that Jesus Christ came allegedly to set up an earthly kingdom. That was always what he planned to do, but he was unexpectedly rejected. <clears throat> it's very fitting that we just read Isaiah 53 also in this service because it shows you that the rejection of Christ was not an unexpected event. It was prophesied. He is despised and rejected of men. And so they argued that it was an unexpected rejection. He failed to establish the earthly kingdom. And so the kingdom had to be postponed. Plan B had to be resorted to. And it's like a quarterback walking up to the line of scrimmage. He knows what play he's called in the huddle, but he sees the defense ready for just that play. So he audibles at the line of scrimmage, changes the play, and allegedly the Father and Jesus put their divine heads together and said, look, you've been rejected and so now we're going to have to establish a stopgap measure known as the church age. 
The church age is what's going to happen until I send you back to try it again. Now, Israel is allegedly the focus of all biblical prophecy. I'm sorry to say, as I stand before you this morning, there's even a printing house associated with our brethren in Texas that alleges in one of their commentaries that there's not a single prophecy of the church in the Old Testament anywhere. That the church was never what God was planning to do. It was the earthly kingdom here that God was planning, and the church was plan B. My Bible says different than that. The church was in the eternal purpose of God, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't plan B. It was that which uh, demonstrates his wisdom, his manifold wisdom. And so he failed in his ability to set up the kingdom. So the kingdom got postponed and the church age is now established. Now when the rapture takes place allegedly, that's when the church age will end. There will allegedly be signs that will indicate the rapture's getting close and I can promise you right now, There are a lot of folks looking at events in the Middle East and saying, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, this is Matthew 24. What they don't understand is what we talked about Friday night, which we do not have time to repeat today. They don't understand those signs given in the first part of Matthew 24 were signs to tell those first century people when Jerusalem was about to be destroyed and when to get out. And there is a second coming that is not the second, is not the uh, destruction of Jerusalem rather. And that will come at a time that no one knows. There won't be any signs with reference to the final coming of Christ. But would you notice here that allegedly there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous at the rapture moment. There was a few years ago a clamoring for the rapture to occur in May of, I forget the exact year now, but allegedly 207 million people were going to vanish from the planet. And everyone was going to be trying to figure out what happened to Uncle Sue, uh, Uncle Joe and Aunt Sue, what what happened to everyone. They're going to be wondering what happened and uh, we're supposed to believe that they will pick up their Bibles And they will start searching for answers as to where their loved one went. And that's when they're going to say, oh, I know where they went. They got raptured. And now I need to become a child of God so that I can go and be with them someday. So purportedly what's going to happen then is there's going to be after the rapture a period on earth of tribulation Some would say seven years, some would say three and a half years, some would say that the saints are not raptured until the end of the seven years of tribulation. It depends on which premillennialist you're talking to. But during that seven years of tribulation on earth, that's supposedly when the Antichrist is going to be doing his dead level best to bring people to persecution and he's going to hate the fact that people are going to the Bible and figuring out what happened to their loved ones and becoming Christians themselves. So he's going to be killing saints right and left during the seven years of tribulation. So that necessitates another resurrection according to the doctrine. The resurrection of tribulation saints. 
has to take place at the end of the great tribulation they say is coming. And uh, that's when allegedly Jesus is coming with his saints. In seven years earlier, he's coming for his saints at the rapture event. Seven years after the rapture, he'll come back with his saints, the ones that he raptured. And then there will be the bloody battle of Armageddon, after which the uh, conquering Christ and his saints will then set up an earthly kingdom, a millennial kingdom on earth for 1,000 literal years. Christ will sit on David's throne, literally, in Jerusalem. And according to them, the stuff in the blue box there on the bottom left, this is something you may not be aware they teach but dispensational premillennialists believe this very, very much. Satan's going to be bound. Jews will be converted. Jews will be returned to the land that God owes them still, purportedly. And the Old Testament worship will be restored. They say animal sacrifices will resume. They will be offered during the millennial kingdom. One reason they make such outlandish statements like that is because they've committed themselves to the following doctrine of how to interpret prophecy. Every prophecy must be interpreted literally. And so when they see some Old Testament passages written at a time when animal sacrifices were being observed, they say, see, there's going to be animal sacrifice that will start to take place during the millennial kingdom, and that is uh, supposedly what's going to happen for a thousand years. After which, there'll be a Gog and Magog revolt. The world will then be destroyed after, notice another resurrection. The resurrection of millennial kingdom saints. Some of those will have died during the battle. And so, how are they going to enjoy heaven or hell if, uh, how are they going to enjoy heaven in this case since they're righteous? How are they going to enjoy heaven if they're dead? And how would they be uh, able to go to hell if they're, if they're wicked? Resurrection of the wicked there is talked about uh, also. So how many resurrections are we talking about? How, how many have we seen so far? We've seen a resurrection that takes place uh, at the, go back one slide here. Here we go. The resurrection of the righteous will take place purportedly at the rapture. Seven years later, those tribulation saints that died, they'll be raised from the dead. Then there'll be another resurrection at the end of millennial kingdom saints who died. And the wicked will then be raised to go to their final place as well. Now, I put up on the screen for you the three different views of premillennial rapture. When do the saints get raptured, pre-millennial style? One, pre-trib. Before the tribulation on earth starts, the saints get raptured out and they miss all of the bad stuff. Mid-tribulation rapturists say, uh, yeah, they're going to be here three and a half years and then they'll be raptured out. Post-tribulation rapturists say that, no, no, the saints don't get raptured until after the seven years of tribulation, Jesus raptures them up into the heavens and then basically says, turn around, we're going back down. And we're going to set up the kingdom on earth. 
Now I want to evaluate, by the way, do you, do you uh, have a guess as to which one of these views would be the most popular among premillennialists? Which one would you guess? The one that gets them out of here before any of the bad stuff happens is the most popular view. The pre-tribulation rapture view is the most popular. But is this a doctrine that matches up with Scripture? I put on the screen the basic premillennial sketch. If you look at the bottom left, you'll see this is not what we're arguing is true from the Bible. This is the basic premillennial view of what the Bible uh, supposedly says. And so note here, if you will, that they make a huge deal out of the Greek words. The word on the upper left, parousia, supposedly only means a spiritual presence, but not anything visible that you could see. And so they say when you read 1 Thessalonians 4, the word that's used there is the word parousia, which means only a spiritual presence, and that it does not signify anything visible that you would see. People will wonder where their loved one went because they won't even know the rapture happened except for the fact that their loved one started disappearing. It was a spiritual presence, not a visible sight, according to the doctrine. They say the word epiphania. Ah, that's something you can actually see. So, in their view on the far left, at the rapture event, the church age ends, a spiritual presence of the Lord is is now here, and the righteous are raptured. There's seven years of tribulation, at the end of which they come back with Christ to fight the battle of Armageddon, and then there is a thousand-year reign upon the earth, and then the judgment, and then heaven, then hell. That is their doctrine. Now I want to show you some uh, problems with their view. They say this word parousia means only something spiritual, not something tangible, visible. And they try to separate the parousia, the rapture event, from the epiphania, the final coming. The second coming for the establishment of the millennial kingdom. They try to separate those two, claiming the words are completely different and signify different events and times. Well, here's a problem. Would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me in your Bible? I want to show you something here that is really important to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 23. As it mentions here that in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive, then it says this, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits afterward, They that are Christ at his parousia, at his coming. The word coming there in 1 Corinthians 15, 23 is this Greek word parousia. They say that's rapture. When you see that, think rapture. Okay, let's do that just in this text and see what we have in the Bible versus what they believe is going to happen next. Let's see what the Bible says happens next. According to them, after the rapture, Then there's tribulation upon the earth for seven years. Then Christ and his saints return, fight the battle of Armageddon. Then there's a thousand-year reign on earth. Then there's heaven, then there's hell. 
But my Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, and 24, watch the order as given here. Every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes what? According to scripture, what comes after the coming of Christ? The parousia of Christ. What comes next? The end. Not seven years more on earth and then a thousand years more on earth. Not a thousand and seven years more on earth. According to scripture, at the moment Christ comes back in his parousia, his coming, that's the end, the end of time. Here on earth will be then. There is no seven years to follow or a thousand years after that to follow. And John 5, 28 and 29 makes a statement that's very, very important. Jesus says, marvel not at this. The hour is coming in the which, how many? All that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. How many in the graves will hear his voice and come forth? All that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation, You'll notice both the righteous and the wicked are raised at the same moment, at the same time. There's no separation of the resurrection of the righteous from the resurrection of the wicked. And here's another thing. They use parousia as allegedly the word that means rapture, only rapture. But in Matthew 24, 37, when Jesus is describing the final coming, his second coming, the end. He uses a term in Matthew 24 and verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the parousia, the coming of the Son of Man be. So wait, you're using the parousia to describe the final judgment. Yes, I am. Because there is no distinction between the parousia event and the epiphania event. No, they're the same day. They take place on the same occasion. And here's a real problem. Do you remember this? I told you that whenever they see the word parousia, they say, oh, that's only a spiritual presence, only a symbolic presence, not an actual physical, visible, tangible thing. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and notice what you have in 2 Peter 3. In verse number 10, the day of the Lord is coming, yes, as a thief in the night, no signs. It's not going to be something anticipated. It happens like a thief comes in the night. You weren't expecting it. If you had been, you would have been waiting for him. So this coming is going to be like a thief in the night. And what's going to happen at this coming? Uh, may I point out to you, verse 12 says, looking for and hasting to the parousia, the coming of the day of God. Now wait, they say parousia only means something felt but not seen, something actually experienced but not visibly, tangibly. Okay, wait a minute. In verse number 10, it says, at the time of this coming, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, what? 
Being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So according to the inspired apostle Peter, when the parousia event happens, the coming of Christ, the heavens will be on fire, the earth will be on fire and melting. It's all going to be burning up. Does that sound like there's seven years more on earth and then a thousand year reign on earth? No. The Bible does not match up with the basic premillennial sketch. It simply does not. Now, here's their claim. This word now on the screen, epiphaneo. It is the word that has to do with his actual coming in a visible way. You'll see him come when that happens. But they've got another problem. They try to separate these two Greek words and say they mean different events. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 8, it says this, Then shall that wicked be revealed. That's the word, epiphania. It's talking about a physical appearance. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Jesus Christ's coming is going to be at the same time that he manifests himself and punishes the wicked. And so these words, parousia and epiphania, are used interchangeably to describe the same events. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14 doesn't use the word parousia, but it's, it uses the uh, a different word to describe the same kind of concept. In your Bible in First Timothy chapter 6, zoom in on verse 14 and watch what it tells us. In this passage of scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 14. You keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing, that is that Greek word at the top of the screen, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, this is an event that's going to happen on the same day. Not a thousand and seven days, a thousand seven years apart, rather. So watch this right here. I talked about these multiple resurrections. You've got a resurrection that happens when the righteous are supposedly raised at the rapture event. Well, some of the people during the tribulation are going to become believers and they're going to be killed by the Antichrist. So how are they going to enjoy the thousand year reign? Well, We'll just raise them at the end of the seven years of tribulation. So now we've got two resurrections. But no, we've, these people that died during the battle of Armageddon or during the Gog and Magog event allegedly that's going to happen near the end, they are also going to need to be resurrected to be able to enjoy an eternal home somewhere. And so now we've got three resurrections. John chapter 6 is a death knell to the rapture theory as described and defined by premillennialists. I want you to go in your Bible with me, please, to John 6, and I want something to jump off the page at all of us here. Jesus certainly knew to anticipate all errors that men would invent, and uh, there's so much of an emphasis in this chapter about the righteous being raised and what day the righteous would be raised that it's a death blow to premillennialism. Let me show it to you. In John chapter 6 and verse 39, this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he's given me, I should lose nothing. Now he's talking about righteous people here. 
but should raise it up again. Jesus, when will you be raising up your righteous people? Again at the last day. Wait, whoa. Not a thousand and seven years before the last day? No, the last day. Not a thousand years before the last day? No. The last day. So as if that's not enough, stay in the chapter and notice John 6, 40. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him, that's a righteous person, may have everlasting life. When will you raise up such a person? I will raise him up at the last day. Not a thousand and seven years before the last day, but on the very last day. Notice verse number 44. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. Uh, Okay, when will you raise such a person? I will raise him up at the last day. Now drop down to verse 54. And notice, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, the one who takes my teaching, absorbs it into his spiritual system. That's the person that has eternal life. And I will raise him up, Jesus. When will you raise up your righteous followers? At the last day. Not a thousand and seven years before the last day or a thousand years before the last day, but no, at the actual last day. So too many resurrections in the premillennial view of the rapture for it to be what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches one resurrection event with both Righteous and wicked being raised at the same day, which just so happens to be the last day. In fact, if you'll go to John chapter 12, I'd like for you to notice what this says about when the wicked are going to be raised. And you'll see that there is no separation of the time from when the righteous are raised and the wicked are raised as far as days are concerned or years are concerned. It happens at the same day. John 12, verse 48. He that rejecteth me. Ah, now we're not talking about righteous folks. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, he has one that judges him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him. And tell me when the wicked will be judged. At the last day. Which brings us to their problem of too many judgment days. They've got a judgment day that they say happens at the rapture, because if you're not taken to heaven, that means you've been judged to be unrighteous and you've been left behind. So there's one judgment day they believe in, and then they say there's going to be another uh, judgment that takes place when the Lord comes back with his saints, and that is going to be a judgment against the wicked that happens when the wicked are destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. And then they say there's a final judgment day that happens as well. So if you take the Second Peter 3.12 passage, which uses the word parousia, and you put fire in the mix, they've got a problem. How do you have the heavens and the earth on fire a thousand and seven years before the last day of the earth's existence? That makes no sense according to their view, but it makes perfect sense if you put it at the end when the judgment day takes place. Look, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross on purpose so that you and I could be saved. It wasn't some plan B moment when I don't know what we're going to do now that they've rejected you. 
I guess we'll just have to kill you and then raise you, bring you back here, and then someday I'll send you back and we can try it again. I have this question that's been asked by many other preachers before me. If Jesus originally meant to set up an earthly kingdom the first time he came and was unexpectedly rejected, what would your question be? How do we know the next time he comes to set it up, he's not going to be unexpectedly rejected again then too? Truth be told, according to 1 Corinthians 15.4, his death, burial, and resurrection was according to the scriptures. It was not something unforeseen. It was something predicted. He would die. He would be buried. He would rise. He would ascend and receive the kingdom, Daniel 7 shows him, going back to the ancient of days and receiving a kingdom which was established on the day of Pentecost. And so from the cross until the final judgment day, we are living our lives in anticipation of the final judgment day. Jesus ascended in Acts 1 and the apostles saw him leave. And this is what they were told. This same Jesus that is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner, even as you've seen him go. He's coming back someday. Every eye will see him, Revelation 1-7 says, not just the righteous. Every eye will see him. And during this time, during this time that is really equivalent to the time period that constitutes the millennium It's not a literal 1,000-year period. It's a complete cycle of time during which Satan is bound. You say Satan is bound. Are you saying he doesn't work at all? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, You know, a dog can be bound to a chain and still be able to do damage if you get in his circle of influence. I was a paper boy in my youth, and there was one dog that absolutely hated me. Well, there were multiple ones, but this one I remember the most. He was staked to a chain, chained to a stake there in that yard. And whenever I would come by, he would go crazy. And I would get a little nervous sometimes because sometimes it looked like that stake was moving. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, if he gets loose, I don't think I can outrun him and I don't want to fight him. I'm a little boy. So here he is barking and ferociously threatening me with uh, his antics. But I'm safe because he's chained, he's bound. Question, is there any way that dog could have done me harm, yes or no? If I walk into his circle of influence, if I walk into the place, the circumference zone where he can reach then yes, he can get to me then, but I don't have to do that. And the Christian does not get possessed against his will by the devil. The Christian, no man gets possessed against his will by the devil in this day and time. So we have a situation where Satan is bound. We possess the kingdom already. The church is the kingdom. It's been established. And we're living for the day when Jesus Christ returns. We don't know when that will be, but we know it's going to be a manifestation. Every eye will see him. It will be visible. If you'll go back as we close to 1 Thessalonians 4, I want to show you something here that really bears repeating. 1 Corinthians 
chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, pardon me, 1 Thessalonians 4. And note, if you will, please, verse 16. Supposedly, when the rapture happens, it's a secret event that no one knows about. So this is what they say. This is describing that rapture event, secret. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. A shout, the trump of God, the voice of the archangel. Brother Wayne Jackson called this the noisiest verse in the Bible. Does this look like a secret coming to you? No, there is going to be a shout from the Lord himself. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. There's going to be the trump of God. I had a young lady ask me at Christian camp many years ago. She was not trying to be funny, you know, or smart alecky. She was asking a genuine question. She said, hey, if I have my headphones on and I'm listening to my music as loud as I can listen to it, she said, well, I hear the trumpet sound when it happens. What would you tell her? I said, you'll hear it. You'll see it. Everyone will know it's happening. He'll descend from heaven. He'll be seen. Every eye shall see him, Revelation 1-7. There'll be the shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and then dead people will start rising from the graves. The righteous will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And he's not going to say, turn around, we're going back down to live there. We're going to ever be with the Lord in an eternal dwelling. And that is the beauty of it. The resurrection, Acts 24, 15 talks about the resurrection singular of the just and the unjust. It's one resurrection of two classes. And Romans 14 and verse number 12, so then each one of us shall give account of himself to God, and that's going to be a day when we'll stand before the great white throne and, and we'll give an account of the things we've done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad, and then we'll enjoy a new dwelling place. Not here, this world is going to be burned up, according to Second Peter chapter 3. This old heaven and earth is going to be annihilated, not renovated, but annihilated. And so there's going to be a place, though, a new dwelling place. It's the place that Jesus said he was going to prepare. It's the church's glorified home, eternal home forevermore with Jesus, never having to say goodbye. We're there forevermore. Now, wouldn't it be great when you hear the trumpet sound, when the voice of the archangel is heard, when the Lord himself descends with a shout, wouldn't it be great if when you heard all that, if you're alive when it happens, that you didn't run and think, oh no, oh no, I'm not ready. What if instead you said, oh yes, oh yes, this is the very meaning and purpose of my life. I've been living for this very event. This has been what my life has been all about. Getting ready for this moment in time when I get to see the one who died for me. I love singing that song, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, when shall it be? When with rapture, and the word there means with joy, extreme joy. 
I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. I someday get to meet the very one that we sang about in that moving song before the Lord's Supper. I someday get to meet him. I don't not only get to meet him, I mean, I've met famous people and then I did not go home with them and live at their house that night and become their best friend. I was not a family member. I was just an acquaintance. Someone met, met them and now I'm on my way. Listen, I get to not just meet Jesus. I get to live with him. And you do too if you are in Christ. And so this is what we're about to offer is heaven's invitation to anyone that wants to hear those things happen and not be afraid and not have to run and, and hide. No, that's no way to live. Live your life so that you're expecting that sacred event and when it happens, you'll be excited and not fearful. If you're already a child of God, then uh, look forward to that moment, live soberly, righteously, and godly until his appearing, and then you can enjoy eternity with him forevermore. If you're not a child of God, the New Testament tells us by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized for the remission of sins, we can enter into Christ, then live for Christ, and then someday get to live with Christ, which is far better, according to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 To be with Christ is far better even than anything this world can give us. Maybe there's someone here today who already obeyed the gospel, but you've wandered and you need to come back before it's everlastingly too late. Whatever your situation is, the invitation of our Lord is yours to respond to now as together we stand and as we sing, won't you please come to Jesus? We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.